We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm with Jason Pat. Jason, this is our Jordan episode, the 23rd episode of Cash Considerations. We did it, man. We have done it. It's great. Jordan episode. It's like a LeBron passing Jordan yesterday. Sad moment, I guess. It was kind of a weird moment. But uh, now we're having our Jordan moment today, so that's fun. It's been, thank you all for listening to our sometimes coherent ramblings. We're going to keep bringing them to you for hopefully many, many more episodes. We actually have some positive stuff to talk about on this one because the Bulls kind of rolling, playing their best basketball of the season. There's no doubt about that. They've won six of their last nine with Otto Porter Jr. in the lineup. They're seven and three overall. Now only a three-game cushion between the Bulls and the Hawks, between that fourth and fifth spot in the final lottery rankings. We talk about that a little bit more in a bit, but we got to start off with the game last night. A classic Bulls. National TV Bulls just coming out and showing some fight, Jason. Uh, it's carried over. And only in their final and only their third national TV game of the year, Bulls Sixers on ESPN, Jimmy Butler with his second game in Chicago since the Bulls traded him. Bulls pull out a pretty crazy come from behind 108-107 win. Zach Levine with the game-winning bucket off a beautiful Jim Boylan ATO with 1.5 seconds left. Bulls win, man. Uh you know, they were down as much as 10, I think, in the fourth quarter. There were just so many times in this game where I felt like Levine was keeping the Bulls from getting blown out. There was one point in the third where I think Levine scored 13 straight points. He ends the game with 39, which is uh, right around his career high, which he set earlier in the week against the Hawks. We'll talk about that one more later, too. But Levine finishes 39 points, 14 of 16, shooting overall, four assists, five boards. He was terrific, especially in crunch time. In the last five minutes, Levine was totally carrying the offense. Every time it seemed like Philadelphia was going to grab the game and, you know, secure the win, Levine, a.k.a. Beige MJ, is what Evan Turner called him, just kept hitting daggers and keeping the Bulls in it. It really reminded me of the first time Jimmy Butler came back to Chicago to play the Bulls when Levine outdueled Butler and the Bulls beat the Timberwolves. He does it again now with Butler on the Sixers. Butler had a pretty good night too, but he was not as good as Levine. It was was beautiful to watch. And uh, I mean, there's so many different ways we can go with this, but I just want to start off by saying that these games are so much more enjoyable to watch since Boylan opened up the offense. I mean, it's night and day. It was atrocious 
during the start of his tenure. Now they're actually, you know, doing quick hitting offense. They're always looking to, you know, actually get into plays while the shot clock is still in the twenties. They're pushing even off made baskets. The, just the difference aesthetically, man, is night and day. And it's been fun to watch after what's been a few rough seasons as a Bulls fan. It really is. And for our, basically our, weekly our episode we always are basically a tradition at this point shouting out the athletics stuff no who is a recent guest he just wrote an article about Boylan opening up the offense because you talk about like Boylan there's been this narrative out as well it's like oh how Boylan said oh well they needed to walk before they could run before they could actually really start doing this but I, I mean I I just really can't buy that because they were so bad those first what a month or two offensively, they were like historically bad offensively with with a roster that should not have been with Lowry with Levine. I know Lowry was coming back from an injury, but they should not have been as bad as they were. The style they were playing was just awful. They I just can't see what they really learned from losing like that so badly over and over, getting their ass beaten, playing that kind of terrible style. And since basically the beginning of February, when they have opened it up, it has just been so much better. Like you mentioned, the stuff just. Pushing off makes misses like one, that was one of the really like annoying things at that first month of Boylan when guys would get a rebound and then he'd be like yelling at them to slow it down instead of like looking to push. It's like it's almost like pushing in transition. You get open shots and we see like Lowry ripping boards and pushing himself up the court and getting easy baskets out of it. It's like yeah, like you have a seven foot versatile dude who can run like that and who can put pressures on defenses and Zach Levine's an athletic freak like. It's it, it it just seems like it was common sense, and we're finally seeing that the Bulls has have had one of the better offenses in the league uh, since the beginning of February. Uh, it's, I believe it's something like in the top five. I was looking, I think it's like since the trade deadline, they have like a one twelve or like one thirteen offensive rating. Their defense is still atrocious, which is why I can't say they're an actually good team. But just in, in terms of the overall aesthetic, like you said, just so much better, so much more enjoyable, making the end of the season at least worthwhile, and giving us something to look forward to next season. Uh, in terms of last night's game, definitely very exciting. It, just, it was very obvious that like, down the stretch, the Sixers were really missing Joel Embiid. Poor Mike Scott, uh, just getting absolutely roasted time and time again. That last that last play, I I have no idea what the Sixers were doing there. I mean, first of all, I said I said even before the play happened, I thought that they might think about doubling Levine, like what upon on the catch, like maybe send Chris Dunn's guy off him, maybe leave Rolo, like. Or even play off. I mean, they basically they like they couldn't have played that any worse. I didn't really understand the switch strategy. They're like either let Jimmy guard him straight up or give a hard double and make him pass the and make Rolo beat you. Even though Rolo was beating them all game, like Levine had been just destroying them in that pick and roll all fourth quarter, going straight up Mike Scott, who had just had no chance, just backing off. Levine was with Lopez setting those huge screens. And Levine said after the game about he talked about he called out Lopez's huge screens and how that's been so helpful for him. And Levine just getting downhill time and time again. He shot a bunch of free throws. He was getting into the paint, hitting little floaters and layups just over and over. And, like, and the Sixers were not doing anything to stop it. So I credit the Bulls for exploiting that, for ha- not having uh, Joel Embiid there and taking advantage of those mismatches. Levine has just been he's been incredible lately. Like. He that the contract he signed four years seventy eight million the offer sheet with the Kings was was debatable at the time like we were questioning it we were I didn't think it was terrible like I understood what they do it I wasn't totally sold on it and even like to start this year like Levine was putting up pretty good numbers but a lot of it felt empty because the Bulls were so bad the off, offense was still bad over the last month plus guys putting up like twenty six a game on he's shooting over fifty percent uh, overall it's over forty percent from three. 
I was looking at his shooting his shooting charts yesterday. He's finishing at seventy percent at the rim, and he's taking over forty percent of his shots there. Like, and he's not taking like he's still taking some mid range shots. He's, his uh, shot selection still sometimes can get a bit iffy, especially if he's really feeling himself. But like over forty percent of his shots at the rim, he's finishing at an incredibly high level. He's shooting threes now really well. Like a dude putting up like twenty six, twenty seven a game on his efficiency right now. Like I mean, that's also level basketball, and he's really stepped up. We'll see if this is just kind of like a late season, no pressure, just kind of going out there and playing type deal. But, I mean, he's a really talented offensive player who seems to be taking the next, next step. So, like, I mean, if he even if he never improves that much defensively, we're seeing the scoring go up where his playmaking has been a bit better. The turnovers have come down a bit. I know he had a bunch of turnovers in that Hawks game. But overall, if he's going to be like this type of offensive player, like the contract is worth it, even if the defense never comes around like, He's a really just fun player to watch, and, he's, and I think he's proving a lot of people wrong. I'd say even including myself. I was never a hater hater of the contract, but I w- wasn't sure of it, and I think he's proven a lot of people wrong right now. Yeah, Zach Levine turns 24 years old in a few days, so this being his age 23 season, it is pretty remarkable. If you just look statistically, he's putting up a 30% usage rate, which is the highest of his career, but his efficiency is better than it's been at any point of his career. He has a 57.5 true shooting percentage. That's remarkable to be operating with an above average league efficiency on that type of usage. Uh, His assist rate is also at the highest of its career, at least since his rookie year when he was playing a lot more point guard for Minnesota. Uh, He's at a 23% assist rate. Even as a rookie, he was at 24%. I think the playmaking is the one thing that I've been the most pleasantly surprised with uh, this season from Levine. I think that at times last year when he came back to the team after the injury, there are plenty of examples of him freezing out marketing. Now that's no longer the case. And uh, I actually like Levine's general attitude too. I think one underrated thing about him that never gets said is that he has a great motor. Like even when he screws up defensively, it's not really for lack of effort. It's more for like lack of paying attention or not really understanding how to play off ball defense. But in terms of his just like general motor and his general give a heck we're not swearing anymore on this podcast i think that it's been really impressive so that's the first thing that jumps out to me it's like he's operating on a huge usage rate with really good efficiency he's improving his playmaking he's becoming more of a team player and then if you want to talk about like eye test stuff i mean this dude's scoring package is just insane he still has such an explosive first step a lot of times when you're like scouting a player they'll talk about being like a one-footed leaper or a two-footed leaper the idea being if you're a two-footed leaper it takes you more time to like load up and explode levine is incredibly explosive off one foot finishes with either hand uh absolutely a three-level score he's got the you know the pull-ups he's shooting threes well this year uh he's just been terrific man and he's clutch he's got the clutch gene what more can you say now i do think when you project him long term like it is kind of hard to find a fit with him we've been talking about the draft on this podcast all year and I do think that, you know, if the Bulls get a chance to draft John ja Morant, who is a point guard projected to go in the top three, I had him at number three overall in my last mock draft on SB Nation uh, earlier this week. I do sort of wonder how he would fit in with Levine because Levine is still a guy who you're going to need to basically put him on the weakest offensive player in the backcourt uh, defensively. I think that, you know, there's no question about that. Chris Dunn theoretically is a good pair with him long-term because Dunn does have 
the length and the quickness to defend multiple positions. But Chris Dunn's just bad, man. I mean, there was an example in the third quarter of the Sixers game, which has happened again and again, but it was spotlighted on Twitter this morning, I saw, where the, Dunn is wide open. The Sixers do not even attempt to guard him. Dunn is shooting a three with no one else even like within the paint and just totally bricks it. I mean, he has. you forget Dunn is on the court, man until he totally screws something up. And I do think there is something to be said for his defense being a nice match next to Levine. Uh, but it's a pair that works better theoretically, I think, than actually on the court. You mentioned the, that's like the sagging off the the, the the second Hawks game, especially there were again, multiple times where they just didn't guard him and down the stretch Dunn had a wide open three to tie the game in the final minute. Lowry missed one too, but Dunn had one where, I believe, if I can recall correctly, Lowry had the ball like in the post, and they doubled Lowry in the post when the Bulls were down three. So like they would rather double Lowry going for a two pointer and leave Chris Dunn wide, literally wide open for a game tying three pointer. Like that's just the teams. Teams just have zero respect for his shooting. He has been a little more. He has given himself a little more of a green light, which has been nice to see. But just like it's just so erratic. Teams just don't guard him. He. His tentative, like, it, it's, he's just kind of a mess right now offensively. And I feel like even his defense has been kind of – Trey Young destroyed him uh, in, that, in the 4 OT game. And then he was going at him again. And, like, that, the, with that whole – the whole mess there when Trey Young got <laughs> tossed out and they had their little beef, they're like, Trey Young was going at him and he was killing him. And he had, hit a three-pointer right in his face. And then Trey Young got tossed out for a second technical foul ridiculously for staring at him. But, like – I feel like his defense hasn't been that great either lately. So it's like if he's going to be so bad offensively and just kind of a guy defensively, like I just don't see where that's happening. And this has really made me. I was I was up really late last night thinking about just the Bulls point guard situation moving forward. Since we got Levine's playing great, Lowry's playing great, Wendell's coming back. I mean, Rolo's been great. Otto Porter has helped stabilize the entire lineup. So they clearly needed some kind of upgrade at point guard. And said so I was up late last night thinking about what they should do and like. Whether they draft John Morant, maybe they draft Darius Garland. Like, I don't know but enough about Garland. I read like two seconds of his ESPN scouting report, and I kind of like what I saw, even though I know he's, he had an knee injury that's kept him out for most of the season. But uh, I'm starting to get on board the Malcolm Brogdon train. He's throwing a big offer sheet at him. He's, shooting, he's one of the most efficient players in the league this season. He's got a 50-40-90 season. Solid defender. I know he's 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 already like 26. It'll probably cost a lot of money to get him away from the Bucks, but I'm I just feel like if if it would be ideal if they can find a guy who can they need a guy who can shoot at that position. Like the other names have been thrown out have been like Ricky Rubio, Darren Collison, Patrick Beverly. I could get behind Beverly, bring the Chicago eye back. Hard nosed guy can shoot threes, help the culture. Uh, Darren Collison, we saw it torch the Bulls the other night. The Bulls lost to the Pacers. He he was hitting threes again, killing Chris Dunn. I'm thinking I'm kind of out on Ricky Rubio just because I I just feel like that lack of shooting again would just make him a liability. He's kind of almost just like an older Dunn in terms of like he's a decent playmaker. And he can't shoot. That's why I've been coming back to the Malcolm Brogdon thing. Like I, I don't know. Like I asked if I was crazy. I feel like some people have said yes. Like maybe that that would cost too much, but I feel like he'd be a pretty great fit for this offense, and they could be a really, really dynamic. They're already pretty dynamic right now with Chris Dunn being terrible. You put in a guy who's shooting like forty five percent from three, he's shooting over fifty percent overall, who can play a little defense and at least do a little playmaking. He's not a dynamic playmaker at all. He's not that athletic, but. I feel like that'd be pretty damn great. I don't know what you think about Malcolm Brogdon at all, but... Well, the reason I brought up, you know, Dunn in the first place is because I feel like the way Levine's playing, uh, even if a lot of the more advanced metrics 
show that you know he's still not having uh, a great impact if you look at rpm and uh some of those where you're still towards the bottom of the league it's like well when the bulls start winning more it'll be reflected in those statistics i think so basically levine's to this point a keeper so when you're if everyone agrees the bulls need something new a point guard next season like you need to build with Levine in mind. You need to build with fit in mind because that's something the Bulls have not done with this front office over the last five years. They did not build with fit in mind when they signed Rondo and Dwayne Wade to match with Jimmy Butler. They did not build with fit in mind when they gave Jabari Parker $20 million to play small forward. So even though the Bulls do have some positive mojo right now, I mean, it's still the same people who have made these horrible screw-ups time and time again. Uh, and we can talk more about the Michael Reinsdorf interview later defending him, but it's like the reason I'm not like s- still super optimistic about the Bulls is just because like the same people are in charge and they've been kind of bailed out uh, by this Otto Porter trade. The Bulls said that the Wizards approached them with the Otto Porter trade. That was a slam dunk for the Bulls. I said it, you know, the second after I saw the trade go down on Twitter. Uh, and just that one move has really helped set everything up. Why? It's because of fit. I think that, you know, you put someone like Porter next to Levine and Porter's just been playing tremendously lately too. Uh, We can talk about all the things he's brought to the team, but more than anything, it's just been balancing out the roster in a lot of ways. He's so long defensively. He might not be super quick right now, uh, but he's great at playing the angles, using his length to get steals, get into the passing lanes. He had, uh, he broke up a pick and roll on the second possession of the game against the Sixers, I think, started a fast break. You see things like that all the time. I think it's definitely no coincidence that the Bulls are 7-3 and three with him in the lineup this season. Uh, and, you know, it to me, it just goes back to fit. It's like you finally got the natural wing who can defend, who can shoot threes. And before this, they offered Bobby Portis a $50 million extension. Imagine if Portis would have taken that. It would have been a total disaster. I don't think the auto trade happens if Porter accepts that extension. Also, they legitimately thought Jabari Parker was a small forward, which is just like the most damning piece of evidence since the Wade signing that this front office still doesn't really know what it's doing. Uh, But, you know, if you want to credit the Bulls for one thing, it's like they have hit on the big stuff. The big stuff being, I mean, the Butler trade looks really good right now, right? Like I still think the Bulls could have built a a great team if they would have kept Jimmy Butler, a team that could have challenged in the Eastern Conference. I think there's a really good chance that even with this young core, that the ceiling they're building up to is still around the ceiling they would have had with Jimmy Butler. With that being said, though, Markinen himself makes the trade worth it. Just getting a young guy like that, who's already been so productive with a 21-year-old, and Levine's been really good. So they did that. Well, getting Levine with the seventh pick, I don't think they had any idea what they were doing. I think they Googled NBA mock draft seventh pick and just took the guy who was projected to go there with Markinen. He's been terrific. There's no doubt about it. And he's going to be, you know, probably the biggest headliner on this team moving forward unless they somehow hit the lottery and get Zion. Uh, So what I want from the Bulls is just to build with fit in mind because ever since the Porter trade, the whole lineup has just had a lot more balance to it. And that is really what's helped them play better. I mean, Porter is just a great fit next to Levine in that he spaces the floor out for him. Levine has said this in a lot of his postgame quotes. He's helping him get turn defense into offense and just replacing the empty stats that Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker were putting up with the the plus minus king in Otto Porter. 
just a terrific move for the Bulls. And the best thing they've done in a long time. I feel like when we were talking about Otto Porter last podcast, we didn't praise him enough because this dude has just been unbelievable since the trade with the Bulls, shooting nearly 50% uh, on threes. He's shooting 49% on five and a half attempts per game for the Bulls on threes right now. He never misses a free throw. The Bulls are actually giving him a steady diet of pick and rolls. I feel like he does not have much first step explosion in terms of creating out of those pick and rolls, but he can pull up from anywhere because he's such a pure shooter and he's so long. He's also just a really smart player. I love watching Otto Porter in that trade single-handedly, uh, you know, save the bulls rebuild, which is going down the toilet real quick before it happened. <laughs> yeah. He's even, you mentioned he doesn't have like the quickest first step, not that explosive off the dribble, but I feel like he's even been a little better off the dribble than I expected. Like, uh, you mentioned how he's just kind of saved them. That the the Hawks four OT game, the Bulls were dead in the water. They were down what five points uh, in the final minute. Looked like they were done. Uh, and then Porter he comes out and he hits like a step back three in somebody's face, like ridiculously difficult shot. Hawks go down, they miss their shot, and then Porter pushes himself, drives to the basket, scores. Trey Young comes back, hits that ridiculous three, and then Porter. It was probably a questionable call. I don't know what the Hawks are doing. The Bulls probably should have lost that game, but. Porter gets fouled and he hits all three free throws to tie the game. Like he basically saved that game for the Bulls and he ended up with, I think he had a career high seven three pointers that game. There have been several games. I mean, last night he hit two big shots in the fourth quarter. He hit the game tying three with a couple minutes left. Uh, when the Bulls went down 10, like this is a small moment in this game. The Bulls went down 10 after Simmons free throws at six minutes ago. Otto comes down, hits a really tough pull up jumper and gets fouled to stem the bleeding. Like if, if he misses that and the Sixers come down and push out the lead even further, the game's probably over. So just like he's been hitting so many huge shots in the fourth quarter. His overall number has been great. And just imagine in terms of just like stabilizing, just balancing out the roster. When, when they had Portis and Jabari and Lowry, that's basically three guys need touches playing power forward position. Like didn't, it just didn't make that much sense. Like they're, they didn't have a small forward there. Like you were, they had Justin Holiday for a while who was fine, but like it's Justin Holiday. You trade him. They're playing Chandler Hutchison. They're playing Wayne Selden at small four. Like those guys just aren't it. They aren't starting small forwards. You put in a legitimate player in Otto Porter Jr., who's been one of the better, at least metrically and in terms of three point shooting, of the better small forwards in the league the last couple of years. And you just see the huge difference. And I, I said this last night as well. I want to uh, also wrangle in Rolo here because it's like there was like I, I thought the Bulls were going to buy him out. I thought maybe they should have bought him out. I thought. Get him, get it, let him buy him out, get him to a playoff team. Let he's dealt with this garbage crap the last couple of years. Get him out, let him go to the Warriors, or whatever. The Bulls apparently they didn't want to do that. He's under contract. They wanted to keep him around and help and help out. And Rolo is playing the best basketball's career. Like he's he just had a career high scoring month in February, over 15 points a game. He's continuing it, uh, continuing it here in March. He's gone double digits in all games in March. He had 19 last night. I mentioned the stuff with the screen setting in Levine that he's getting him free, and Levine has t- talked about it. Like he was killing Mike Scott on the offensive glass in the fourth quarter. Like Rolo is playing the best basketball of his career right now, and just with Porter coming in stabilizing the lineup, Rolo playing the best basketball of his career. It's just helped Lowry and Levine so much, and this is how you get like a a competent, modern looking NBA offense that's actually scoring at a really high level. Like I said, the defense has still been trash. We still have to see a lot more it's going into next year, depending on what they do in the offseason. For them, like people want to say that this team is going to be like legitimately a definite playoff team next year. I think we need to we do need to hold our horses a bit because just because of the time of the season, just I feel like it's been a long grind. The Bulls are trying to build something right now. It's other teams are just kind of grinding out the season. 
Celtics were going through a mess. Like the Grizzlies are kind of a mess. Like some of the and the Bulls have pulled out a couple li- pretty lucky wins here. Like the, the Hawks four OT game was pretty lucky. The Magic win was pretty lucky with that last foul. I mean, last night t- another toss of game, but just the fact that just these guys just coming together and finally building a more just a coherent starting starting group. It's been great to see. Hopefully, they can build, sustain it, and build on it moving forward because it's it's been a lot of fun. The monthly splits for Robin Lopez are just ridiculous. They're outrageous. You remember at the beginning of the season, it looked like he might be cooked, man. I mean, he was moving so slow. For whatever reason, everyone on the Bulls came in out of shape, I feel like, with the exception of Levine this season. It showed in how the Bulls just got off to a horrific start. Lopez was a big part of that. He was only playing 17 minutes a game. Granted, you had Wendell Carter uh, you know, asserting himself as the starter, at the beginning of the season, but Lopez was averaging 3.7 points a game in November, in December, 5.7, in January, 6.8, in February, 6.4, and then in March, 15 and a half. February is 15 and a half, and now he's at like 16. Or I'm sorry, in February, 15 and a half. Yeah, yeah I screwed all those up. 16 and a half now this year. So just like the month over month improvement has been huge. I wanted to point out the screens that he's been setting, which you also did but dude that is one of the most underrated skills in all of nba basketball now i feel like because the league is obviously so pick and roll heavy i go back and compare it to the screens boozer used to set a boozer would not make contact though the way that lopez makes contact there was on uh one of levine's i think it was his second to last bucket stone simmons simmons like flies back Lopez just set a perfect screen and it freed up Zach to zigzag and to hit a shot. So I think Lopez has been incredible. I would bring Lopez back next year if they could. Now, Brooke Lopez is playing on a one-year, $3 million deal this year for the Bucs. Uh, obviously, he's way outperformed that deal. But to me, that is where the bar is at for Robin Lopez's free agency. It's like, no one's going to give him a big deal. He's making $14 million this year. I bet next year he's probably going to sign for, I mean, $5 million max per year. Yeah, I thought the the Bulls have – obviously they'll have some cap space. They're on $20 million right now. They they could do some stuff to make that bigger. Like if you want to trade Chris Dunn into somebody's cap space, that would add $5 million. Like Denzel Valentine, maybe they look to move him. I've pondered – stretching Felicio's contract over five. They could stretch his contract at over like five years and it'd be like $3 million a year on the cap. I don't think they'll do that. I think, they, if anything, maybe they would wait till uh, his fourth year and just stretch that over three years. But if anything, the Bulls, with since they have cap space, they'll also have still have the, the room exception, which is I think like 4.5 to like $5 million. Like, I feel like they could – that's like a decent – I'm not totally sure like how like the rules work with them because I think to use the cap space, they'd probably have to like – wave like his cap hold and like i don't know if, i think they would lose his bird rights that way but i think then they could come back and probably offer offer the room exception like, like I said, if they offered him like a one year 4.5 million or like two years at like four and a half million a year like i feel like that would make sense like, like you said even as well as he's playing right now like i can't see other teams like going out and shelling out a ton of money for a like a 31 year old robin lopez so yeah i'm like all all on the board of bringing him back as the backup center next year at the point yeah, and we got to talk about Markinen here, man, because we've gone way too long on this episode without talking about Larry Markinen. He just ended February averaging 26 and 12. 
on 49% shooting from the field and 35% shooting from three-point range. Also was getting to the line six and a half times a game, which has been an issue throughout his career and hit 92% of his free throws. What a month by Lowry Markin. And then he came back in the first game of March. That was the 168-161 game of the year against the Hawks. We should talk about that next. He puts up 31 points in that game, 31 and 17. He played 54 minutes in that game. I think that's maybe why in the three games since uh, he hasn't been that great yet. You know, his numbers to start March are a little down. I think he's totally out of gas, like you said. But God, his game has just been tremendous lately. And uh, I think it starts with his open floor development. The fact that he's able to push the ball in the open floor. I highlighted one of his grab and go rebounds. Uh, earlier today on Twitter against the 76ers. He's such a threat in the open floor. Now, he did get off to a little bit of a rough start in the Sixers game because he picked up two fouls in the first two minutes. It reminded me of a college basketball game where a guy picks up two fouls and you sit him down for the rest of the first half. Uh, he, I think he only had one field goal in the first half, but he got going in the third. He was very much you know, a, a big part of the victory again, even though he only ended the night with 11 and 8. But Markinen has just been so phenomenal lately his comfort level putting the ball on the floor is to me the thing that I did not see watching him at Arizona uh during his one year as an NCAA player to what he did in Chicago and you saw the early signs of it last year him you know running some pick and roll some four or five pick and roll under Fred Hoiberg as a rookie I think he's taken that uh to a whole other level this year and then when you combine that with the rebounding I mean 12 rebounds a game this is a guy who coming uh, into the draft, rebounding was the biggest knock against him, sort of similar to like Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, this year out of Michigan State after by the Grizzlies. It's like, well, rebounding is the biggest question mark with him. Marketing has been crushing the glass lately, which is just another thing that shows that he's diversifying his game. So now you have the added offensive skill level of a big man who can put the ball on the floor, who can run a little bit of pick and roll, uh, you know, Steph No in his athletic most recent athletic article put a spotlight on this play the Bulls are running, where Markinen sets a screen for Levine and then Rolo does a, a dribble handoff with Levine. That they have a ton of different options on. Markinen can pop to three. Uh, Levine can keep rolling and cut to the basket. That play has been super good for them. So that's one thing uh, we should credit Boylan for. I saw him running a couple times in the Sixers game as well after reading that story. I just think marketing has been a stud man. And, uh, you know, at this point, you I don't really think that you want to put any sort of ceiling on what his potential could be. Like, there was talk when he was a rookie that is he a top 10 player or could, could he one day be a top 10 player in the whole league? Well, I mean, that's pretty, pretty lofty praise. But then, you know, you go to this year when he was struggling in January, people were wondering if he was ever going to be more than like an average starter. So the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but uh, at this point, you know, there's an argument that he can be a top three player in the 2017 draft. You look at Donovan Mitchell, you look at Jason Tatum. Well, Markkinen's putting up numbers that are as prolific and as efficient as both of them. Uh, And, you know, the fact that they've been able to give him some more minutes at the five this year without Carter, the one bummer to this, you know, recent improved play is that we don't get to see Markkinen and Carter together since those really are the two best building blocks for the future. And dude, when we had Wendell Carter to this mix, I think that he's going to go a long way towards shoring up the Bulls defensively. Uh, really, the Bulls have made these recent improvements through the strength of their offense. Their offense has been really good, not the defense, even though it was a defense first coach. But dude, marketing has been a stud. You know, I, I'm not, I wouldn't 
think someone's crazy if they think he could eventually one day be a top 10 player in the league or like put together a season that has him in the top 10. Uh, the guy has just been tremendous. And especially when you're running your offense through a big man, which is kind of a tricky thing in today's NBA. Uh, the fact that he can put the ball on the floor and like make some plays for himself and attack closeouts as a stud shooter. He is really, really good, man. The passing as well. Like he's made some pretty nifty, like cross court passes. It's like just whipping him cross court with like, with one hand, like that stuff has been really impressive as well. Yeah, like I, I, yeah, the ceiling stuff is always tough to say. Like, t- I don't know if he's good enough, will ever be good enough defensively to really be considered like a top, like legitimate bona fide top 10 player. Like, unless, and, and unless his offense really just gets to that level where like the defense doesn't even matter, but I feel like he could probably be at least a top 10 offensive player. At least he's got that kind of ceiling. Just a guy who can get out, a seven footer who can shoot threes, but also push the ball in the open floor is, with the passing getting better. That little that little driving like hesitation floater shot that he's really been doing a lot lately has been really impressive. Like he's just got a really versatile skill set. It's just been really impressive and fun to watch. And it's it's and it's just it's made the Bulls just so much better overall. It's the combo of the combo of Lowry and Levine have just been killing it lately. Like I said, you add Otto in that mix and and Robin Lopez doing great. And the, the Bulls starting lineup and then if he uh, has been really prolific even with Dunn struggling and then. But I feel like even if you put like Archie Diakno in there, I feel like that he Arch does so many things, little things well. And shout out to Arch for that ridiculous diving save, maybe highlight of the bowl season, the diving save to Otto Porter and then the alley oop to Zach Levine, probably the highlight of the bowl season. Uh, Arch just we've talked about him before. Just I, he's not the greatest player. He's obviously got a, he's got us he's got a ceiling on him because of his lim- athletic limitations, but. He's just a solid, smart player who hustles his ass off, plays really hard. Like I, I would be fine with him coming back as either the backup or like a third point guard. It's a lot of things, a lot of things going right for these Bulls right now. It's it's been pretty impressive. Dude, Arch is third in the NBA in assist to turnover, you know, behind Tyus Jones and Monte Morris right now. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, Arch has been better offensively than defensively too, which is something that I think you know you look at him and you think that he plays tough defense, and there are times when he does, but that's really where the limitations uh, to me come into play. But offensively, he's he's great because he just doesn't screw up and he hits open threes. So really, what more can you ask for out of a backup point guard? Uh, I enjoy watching Archie Diakno. He's you know he's someone who the city's going to gravitate to probably because he's white and also because he's like gritty and he's doing all the little things, but he has, been, he's been legitimately good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to that point is that it, going back to that four OT Hawks game, uh, he hit that corner three point. I think it was the third OT, second OT. Again, I think the bulls looked like they were in trouble. They were down five. Uh, and this is also a testament to Levine's growth. I know he had some bad turnovers in that game, but they were down three in like the final minute or so Levine drives, got surrounded by like three or four defenders and he makes an incredible pass out to Arch in the corner, and he hits, and he steps up and hits the game tying three. Like that, just kind of stuff. Having that that shooter out there that can hit those shots, you can feel good about hitting those shots. And Levine with that vision, right, talk about and making Hawks that decision. Game. It was, uh, it was again great to see that that, that kind of developed. Last time there. we did this podcast in back to back games, the first game, arguably the game of the year in the NBA, the Bulls dropped 168 points, beat the Hawks in four OT, 168 to 161. Levine, unbelievable in this game, 47 points, 9 assists, 9 rebounds. Uh, Just the stat lines up and down in this game were just unbelievable. Porter was ridiculous, 31, 7-3, 7-13 for Otto Porter in that game. 
so much drama uh, throughout. I came home with like two minutes left in the fourth quarter. I was at the gym and I'm like, well, you know, at least I caught the end of this. This will be fun. Let's see what, you know, what happens. We'll see if the Bulls can win. And little did I know we were in for a 4 OT, just straight up masterpiece between the Bulls and the Hawks. Yeah, crazy. I honestly, I did not see that much of it. I caught up like on a bunch of replays. I read all about it. I did not see any of it live. I was kind of following online, uh, and like I said, I caught up on it later. Just, but it was just wild. The swings back and forth. I, I mentioned this earlier. They, the Bulls, they 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 went down early and they came back with a big third quarter. They were up like eleven in the fourth quarter, and then the Hawks came roaring back. Trey Young, absolutely incredible. Trey Young has been having an awesome rookie season after a slow start, and it looked like he. It looked like the Hawks had put the Bulls away. Like I said, they went up five, final minute of the fourth quarter. They looked like it was over, and then Otto Porter saved their ass, and then Dwayne Dedman was called for that. Or it was either him or Bazemore was called for that questionable three-point foul, and then Otto steps up, and then just overtime, just back and forth, like big plays, big shots. I mentioned the arch, that arch three-pointer. Uh, Levine had, had a monster dunk, and Levine, Levine capped off the game uh, with that circus like driving shot just – Again, just a testament to his difficult shot making ability. Just, it was a wild, wild ass game, and it's funny. It's like a Bulls Hawks game. It's like the Bulls and the Hawks they combined for like what, like forty wins, less than forty wins heading into that game. Like two teams, four and five in the in the tank race. And who would have thought that they would have had played that type of game? But both teams have been playing fun basketball lately. Like I said, Trey Young is a ton of fun. The Bulls have fun young players. So like, it was it was awesome. Even though I wasn't able to see that much of it, just like. From following along with it and the highlights, I did see just an awesome basketball game to watch and just a ton of fun. Yeah, and we should talk about the elephant in the room here because I feel like I can't tweet about the Bulls at all without people hitting me up with, well, you know, we have this generational prospect in the draft and the Bulls are uh, just sabotaging their chances to get him. I think it needs to be said, Bulls now 19-47 and 47 on the season, a 28% winning percentage. Two and a half games, I'm sorry, behind the third spot. So the top three teams in the reformed lottery all have a 14% chance to win the lottery. The Bulls then, if they do come in fourth, they'd be at 12.5. The Hawks, they're currently at fifth. They're at 10.5. So it's not changing too much. I do think that it's definitely beneficial to get Markinen and Levine just some confidence, some you know, the fact that they can win NBA basketball games with this franchise, I think is is huge for their overall development. Uh, but there is there might come a certain point where the Bulls need to think about, you know, like pumping the tank up again a little bit, because I still think there's like, what, 20 games left? They're 19 and 47. I believe there's 16 games left. They got to stay in that four spot is my point here. Like, and if they do want to actually start tanking, you look at Dallas right now, dude, Dallas is down the seventh worst team. They're two. They've lost three in a row. They're two and eight in their last 10. The Mavericks are clearly tanking and have been ever since they made the trade for Porzingis. Of course, if the Mavericks pick lands in the top five, they keep it. So the stakes are even higher for Dallas this year. Uh, but the Bulls need to make sure now Dallas still has 27 wins. The Bulls have there is a pretty big gap, but the Bulls could theoretically come in fifth instead of Atlanta, which then drops their their floor too. Like even if you're the worst team this year, which is currently the Knicks, you could drop to five, which is one spot further back than the last lottery rules. Uh, so if the Bulls do want to pump up the tank, I think the thing they got to do is just stop playing Rolo so much. Yeah, I mean they're playing him like thirty five minutes minutes a game. Like I said, he's been great. He's been helping. Maybe put him down to twenty. I mean, obviously you're going to keep starting him. 
but he's been playing legitimately 35 to 40 minutes this, this last like month or so. And, and like, and like, again, he, like I said, he's helping. He's been great. He's been terrific. Like he deserves the minutes to, to sit out, to stick it out with this team, not get that buyout and go to a playoff team. Like I get why they're playing in these big minutes and I get why they're like, they're giving him so many opportunities and he's taken advantage of it. He's been great, but I definitely do, do understand some people questioning why they are giving, like making him, why they're making him such a big part of the team and why he's playing these huge minutes and basically just like setting aside Felicio. I mean, Felicio has been basically unplayable. He's absolutely awful, but like you do have him under contract for a few more years. Like you would think maybe you want to try to see if there's anything you can get out of him. Maybe you really think he's a lost cause, but like, I honestly think, I mean, I, I meant to say this earlier and I tweeted this last night. Honestly, the Lopez playing Lopez this much and trading for Otto Porter is probably going to add five to seven wins to this bulls win total. So like, if they did want to juice up the tank a little bit down here, like we've seen what they can do now that they've seen, we've seen that they can play better. Maybe they do that. I I don't think they're actually going to though. Uh, you should you should hit the ad read here, Jason. Yes, we should. Hear a word from our sponsor. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. And that's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. There's no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. No one likes pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day. And with no hidden fees. It's great. Having life insurance can free you from stress when getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in only minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com, getethos.com. Yeah, so Bulls coming up next. They got back-to-back games against Detroit. They host the Pistons on Friday. They're at Detroit Sunday afternoon, which will be fun. It'll be like a Bears game, 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, they got the Lakers after that, which is pretty hilarious. They're hosting the Lakers, LeBron's only trip to the UC this year. Um, then they're at Clippers, at Sacramento, at Phoenix in a good tank race. So they do have, you know, some West Coast road games coming up. They still play Toronto twice. Uh, they Sixers two more times. So uh, they they host Portland. It, it's not an easy close schedule by any stretch. So. Uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping that they can at least just come in fourth in the tank race, and then to me, like I'm I'm as much of a Zion guy as anyone, but uh, if they're fourth, like in Levine and Markin and other ones carrying them to these wins, you can't get mad about that. Like the percentage, one point five percent. We we want Zion. It would be great to get Zion, but like if the difference is fourteen versus twelve point five, like. The, the odds are long anyways and all these teams have long shot odds like obviously you mentioned like the floor is lower but like if it's really about zion and like if it's the rest if you're looking at the rest of the guys and it's kind of just a crapshoot after zion like if the odds are gonna if it's a 1.5 percent difference even if they drop to five which would be unfortunate like you still have a 10 percent chance at zion i believe if you're at fifth while that would give them the chance of falling lower which would be again unfortunate like I just like can't bring myself to get that that mad about it at this point when Levine and Markinen and Otto have looked so good. Like, like I said again, look the Rolo stuff. I get why some people don't think that they should be giving him such a big opportunity to win these games, and he has played a huge role. But like, 
I just can't get mad about it when Levine and Mark have been so good and when the odd the difference in odds is just so small. Uh, we got to talk about these Michael Ryan stuff. We do. We've been positive here. We've been very positive on this podcast. Now it's going to get a little bit negative here because Michael Ryan source, it did several interviews this week. Uh, first, he had one with Casey Johnson. And he did, I think he did a follow-up or I don't know if it was what, what exactly happened there, but Joe Colley also had a, some different quotes. Ricky, please, you have the Casey Johnson interview with Michael Ryan sort of teed up. What, what did you make of all that? He, the, the headline of the article was basically like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like Michael Reinsdorf thinks John Paxson, Gar Foreman are like doing a great job. Like they're absolutely going to be back next season. Like I guess none of the fact that they're going to be back next season is not a surprise at this point, especially since the Bulls are playing better. But like, just what did you make of some of the comments? If you want to pull up some of those comments and read read some of the the great quote unquote greatest hits for them, please take it away. Yeah, the, the headline from this was Bulls Michael Reinsdorf on criticism of John Paxson and Gar Foreman. Colin, I personally don't understand it. I got through about 50 words of this thing before I started rolling my eyes. It starts with Casey Johnson asked, will John Paxson and Gar Foreman be back next season? Uh, and Ryan Sorf says, absolutely. He says, you know, one thing that I don't understand why people refer to him as Gar Pax when they have totally different job responsibilities. All right, well then, who signed Jabari Parker? Who signed Dwayne Wade? Like, part of the problem with this is that there aren't clear responsibilities. Like, are we to believe that it's just Paxson now, whereas before Gar was the guy who was technically the GM. Now Gar is out there watching DePaul St. John's games uh, on Sunday afternoon. Checking out some Max Struess and uh, is it who's is it Shimori Pons? Is he a St. John's guy? Yeah, Shimori Pons. Yeah, that was a really fun game. DePaul won that. Struess had forty three. Anyways, so I think that that's just just right away you're starting rolling your eyes, and then he goes into this. John is our vice president of basketball operations. He took over in 2003 and orchestrated our first rebuild. He inherited a team and made a lot of different trades. He drafted Kirk Heinrich. He spent $3 million in a trade with Phoenix so we could draft Jordan Lalding. Jesus Christ, like, there are people who are, like, about to graduate high school who were born the same year this trade happened. And we're still pointing to this as something positively that John Paxson did. Uh, totally ridiculous. Then he goes, we signed a top free agent in Ben Wallace in 2006. A lot of people forget he was the number one free agent that year. Uh, it's like, come on, man. And then he, he talks about the downfall of that team. When the Bulls were, if you remember, coming off that year where they beat the Heat in the first round and then lost to Detroit, they were projected by some to make the finals that year. They end up, according to how Michael Reinsdorf puts it, we tripped and didn't make the playoffs to get lucky and get D-Rose. Anyway, there's a ton of shit that you can, uh, you know, bash Gar Packs for, as anyone who's listening to this podcast knows. Um, I just felt like this blind faith in him was totally ridiculous, and it really just reinforced the most frustrating thing about the hierarchy with the franchise, is that these people aren't even under, and when I say these people, I mean Packs and Foreman, they're not even under evaluation in terms of how they're performing their jobs. Like there's really nothing they could do to get fired at this point other than fire themselves. Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, you just look at the results. Like they have, like they, they have made good moves. Like they, the baby bulls were a fun team. They had basically a second round ceiling, completely lucky with the D Rose draft pick. And then, I mean, and he brought up the Rose injury again. Like they love bringing up the Rose injury, which to a point, sure. Fine. But like the Rose injury happened seven years ago at this point. Like, just give it up, please. Like the, it's been a long time. 
the fact of the matter is they've won one Eastern Conference Finals game in since Paxson took over as GM. That's we're in years whatever sixteen now at this point since he was hired in two thousand three. Gar has been with the franchise as he, I think he was direct hired as director of player personnel in two thousand four. Uh, took over as GM in 2009 when Paxson got promoted, despite the fact that I think he wanted to be fired or he wanted to quit. Uh, one Eastern Conference Finals win. They've only won a couple playoff series since Rose, since that Eastern Conference Finals trip. Like, you, you, yeah, you don't get you just like, the accountability. And this, the other, the other interview that I pointed the, the Cowley one uh, it was he Cowley asked about like, like going through coaches like. Since Paxson's been out since 03, I mean, I who's been all the coaches? Like, there have been Skiles, there's Del Negro, was Cartwright in there at some point? I'd, I'd have to look it up. Like, they went to Tibbs, they're go, uh, Hoiberg, and now Boylan. Like, they're on coaching, probably like six or seven. And like, and Cowley asked about that. Like, and Ryan sort of gave some crazy answer. I was like, how about like how he doesn't judge his front office by their coaching hires? Like, well, what? Like, that's. A huge part of the job. I feel like he was trying to pawn off. It's like, well, like we all make these decisions. We all sign off on it. It's like, well, still, like, if you're not judging them on like the hiring a coach is like a huge deal. Like, if you can't judge if you're not judging your front office on like your coaching hires, and you can just keep going through as many as you want. Like, like what is that? That's just kind of the whole. That's the, it gives away the game right there. Like, the, the, there's, there's no accountability if they're if they're making mistakes and with hiring coaches and things go poorly. Like, like how how. I, I don't get it. Like that's crazy to me just to admit that you don't think hiring like the the coach's success and going through coaches like that doesn't play into how you grade your front office. That's absolutely wild to it's me. It's because they're above evaluation, and I think that that's been the thing that people who have been big detractors of Garpax, even beyond all their weird like paranoia and all the stuff that just makes them hard to you know to root for. Uh, it's that it doesn't feel like there's anything they can do to get fired at this point, which is what's so frustrating. One thing I pointed out on Twitter from the Sun-Times interview that Michael Reinsdorf did with my buddy Joe Cowley, here's a quote. Reinsdorf said there's a reason the Bulls are excited about moving forward with Coach Jim Boylan. Quote, you knew Jim, Reinsdorf said. There were no surprises, just like Phil Jackson. When Phil Jackson was hired, they knew. They knew Phil. There were no surprises there. Holy false equivalency, Batman. Like, Jesus Christ. I still don't even know what he's trying to fucking say there. There goes the swearing rule. I just I think uh I saw Matt Moore at HP Basketball, I think, saw that your tweet and quote tweet of just like how like ridiculous a comment it was. Because like Phil wasn't really known. Like I, I guess he was there, but like he was kind of like he was like out of the box, out of the box higher. Like which like I guess and I, I don't know. It's just, and to, at this point, to like just reference Phil Jackson, obviously Phil Jackson won whatever six damn titles, legendary coach, and like to bring that up now, like, like that's absolutely it's just absolutely wild. And 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 then he, they were talking about something in that interview as well about like the oh, we need to go through like better like hire, coaching process uh, uh, hiring process, which like well their last coaching hiring process was like non-existent. I would assume at this point that there's not going to be a coaching search this offseason. Like, the Bulls playing better. Like, I'm pretty sure they're going to go all in on Boylan for next season. Like, do you think they'd even give him, like, an extension? Like, if they, especially if they continue finishing well, like, instead of having him be a lame duck guy, like, will they tack on another year? Like, just, just to give him a little more, uh, uh, just, uh, just have, have him there, just have him a little more security there? Like, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. Like, I still think that they should at least put out feelers, do some type of coaching search, see if there's a guy out there, maybe a more credible guy out there. Because like as as 
as better the Bulls are playing under Boylan, I still think he has his faults. I feel like in terms of as a long term option, like we've seen him, we've seen him uh, flame out at his other college, his college coaching job because people just got sick of him. Like things are going great now, but if things get bad again, like and he's saying he's doing all this just goofy, his goofy routine, like people like are they going to like that? Like I still think that they should find a better look, at least look for a better coach. I feel like at this point they're just going to ride with Boylan for next year. Is there? Do you think there's any reason to think otherwise? One thing we should have said earlier when we were talking about the Bulls' improved play, it's like you look around the league right now. This is the part of the schedule where I typically tune out and just start paying attention to college ball and March Madness because that's my day job at SB Nation as well. But uh, everyone around the league is like struggling right now. The Bulls are like the one team that has positive mojo going for them. So like this is weird. Well, I mentioned, I mentioned like the, the Suns have won three games in a row. This is the time of year that it's such a long grind of the season where like anyone could beat anybody. Said the Suns have won three straight. The Cavs are playing better. We said the Bulls, like the Bulls, we, we don't want to take away. The Bulls look better. They've been playing a lot better. We, it's been giving us some optimism for the future. But like, and I think, and Matt, your friendly Bulls blogger, runs Bloggable, has also done the same thing. Because we, we kind of saw it last year as well. Like the Bulls are playing a bit better at times down the stretch and they won some games. But like, how much do you really. Yeah, like how much do you really take out of winning some of these games again in like March when a lot of teams don't care? They're, they're literally just fighting to the finish line. Playoff teams are just kind of just like get us the playoffs already. Like you do wonder like how much that. That's why next season will be interesting to see how them how much that sustains. But it seems like right now the Bulls are definitely will be using this part this improvement as a reason to keep boiling around. And like I do kind of get it. Like I said, I don't want to completely hate it. And the guy, I think he deserves credit for turning things around. But I do wonder just like how much of this is just a hot stretch. How much of it's actually real? How much of it's sustainable? How much Boylan, how much credit Boylan actually deserves if he can be the long, a long-term option here? Like I am very curious and which is why I still think that they should, should possibly look at hiring another coach, but I, I don't know. They should fire him this off season. There's no doubt about it. And they're not going to, they've already said publicly how many times that he's not going to be fired uh, during the off season. And then I think Matt, uh, Bullswire brought up a good point today on Twitter when he said, you know, well, then is he a lame duck coach next season? Are they going to extend him? They already gave him a little bit of a raise. To me, they should fire Boylan because he's not going to be the long-term coach anyway. So now you're pushing back a real coaching search until 2020. Uh, you know, Markkinen doesn't need that. Levine doesn't need that. Give him a young coach they can actually grow with. Try to find another top assistant like they did with Thibodeau, uh, you know, back in the day. So... Boylan should be fired. Uh, it's not going to happen. Michael Reinsdorf in these interviews basically confirmed that, you know, he's really happy with everything in Bulls land, which is kind of insane given just the general angst of the fan base. No fan base around the NBA hates their team more than the Bulls. And I want to say that people who like listen to me and you, uh, we've pointed this out before, but like, even though I think the Garpax totally blows and, you know, I, I, I don't spite them for their success. You know what I mean? Like if they can build a team that can make a deep run in the Eastern conference playoffs, I mean, hell yeah, I'll totally be behind it and I'll be back to, but so like, I don't begrudge them at all, but it's just like, dude, this is just not the way a good organization runs itself. And everything I hear from other reporters who are more plugged in uh, than I am, who actually have access to the team say that, the Bulls are just such a disaster behind the scenes on so many different levels that like fans like us can't even comprehend, uh, you know, how, how mismanaged they are in some of these ways that go even beyond just like the encore product. So uh, to me, just 
get rid of Boylan. It's not going to happen, but God, it's just like, it makes next year just sort of like another sort of wasted year, waiting year. Maybe the Bulls will put it together and make a make a run at the playoffs. To finish, off, to finish off here, you mentioned the run of the playoffs. And I will say one thing, one part, this was another part of the Ryan Sorf interview that I think people, some people ripped him for it. I honestly don't think it was that big a deal. Is when he, and he, he brought up the Sacramento Kings. And uh, the Kings are obviously have been a laughing stock for a long time. Uh, they haven't been in the playoffs, what, like 12, 13 years. I think I think they have the longest playoff chart at this point. I honestly didn't hate him bringing up the Kings because the Kings right now are fun as hell. They're, I feel like what people thought, what the Kings are now, they're like around 500. They're kind of slipping away now, but they're a young team. It's not surprising in the West. De'Aaron Fox is dope. Buddy Heald's been pretty dope. Bogdanovich is pretty good. Like Bagley's been awesome before he got hurt, or he was playing really well before he got hurt. Uh, I feel like the best case scenario for, I feel like, the Bulls this year was going to be what the Kings are doing now. So I feel like bringing the Kings up as a as maybe a goal for next season, I feel like makes a lot of sense. Like, if the Bulls go into next season and they play like the Kings are this season, they end up around 500, maybe sneaking in the playoffs. Like, I think that'd be pretty damn great. Like, I know people talk about, like, oh, well, they're the eight seeds, seven, eight. Well, it's like, well, you're not going to go from dog shit to, like, the three seed unless you get a superstar. Like, you can't expect them to go from 25 wins to like 55 wins. Like that's just not going to happen. So if, if they actually, if the bulls are actually the, like the Kings of this season, next season, I feel like that'd be pretty great. I don't know what, how, how you felt about that. I, I had no problem with them invoking the Kings, even if it is maybe not the, maybe a little toned up because the Kings have been a joke for a while, but like I hadn't, I had no problem with that. We think the Kings are fun. Now if the bulls could emulate that next season, I think that'd make for a pretty fun and successful season. Yeah, I totally agree. That's all I have for this episode, Jason. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? That is about it. Like you mentioned, the schedule coming up, they got Pistons with another home and home. Like I said, that early Sunday game is pretty fun. The Lakers game will be hilarious. I actually have a friend who's a huge, huge Lakers fan who got tickets to the game and he got rid of them because like the Lakers are a complete joke now. Doesn't even care about seeing LeBron in a Lakers uniform. Uh, so that, that I'll, I'll still be intrigued by the game just to see the Bulls. Maybe put another nail in LeBron's coffin and w- win another regular season game against LeBron uh, could be a lot of fun. But yeah, that's that's about it. We'll see if they can keep up the strong play this weekend. And the, they got some tough games coming up. It'll be really interesting. Besides that, uh, as always, Blue Wire Network. Thank you to the Blue Wire Network for uh, hosting Cash Considerations. We're actually doing a uh, a merch giveaway. I believe it's tomorrow, Friday. Uh, if you follow our Twitter account at Blue Wire Pods, I believe we're, we're giving away some merch. I know our show does not have specific merch, but Blue Wire's got some merch. Some of the other shows out there around the network have have some merch. We got a ton of ton of shows. We're only we're growing every day. We're adding. We're looking to add pods. We're adding pods. So. Blue Wire's, we're making a big push here, and we got a bunch of good shows around around the network, so shout out to Blue Wire. Like I said, go follow us on Twitter, at Blue Wire Pods. Uh, possibly win some free merch there. Besides that, uh, I think that's pretty much all we got here. Cash considerations. This has been Jason. Ricky, have a good weekend, my man. Later, man. Thanks for listening, guys. See ya.